This morning, I'm going to continue uh, and kind of pick up on the, the end of a, a message that I started two weeks ago with you, and it's, we're calling it the Legacy Series. And uh, you're like, well, what does legacy got to do with Christmas? Well, everything, for one. Why? Because we're the legacy of Jesus right now. You know, I mean, we really are. We're, we're the ones who are what? We're carrying on the story of Christ and, and what he's done in us, but I also want to... Uh, you know, because just as, as he has a legacy, so do we. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to share, a, I'm going to kind of recap a little bit for you uh, some of what I shared two weeks ago and uh, just for a few moments. And then I want to kind of step over into another area. Then we're going to wrap it up this morning. But, uh, you know, one of the thoughts that I left with you the other day was this, is that we don't just leave a legacy. Many times we think about legacy and we think about what? The end of our life. And yet the reality is, is you don't just leave one. You got to build one. Or let me say it this way, if you want to have a say in the legacy you, you leave, you might want to start thinking about it. And you might need to be intentional about building a legacy. You know, there are things that I already know, I already know, I mean, my son is three and a half, that I will teach him for the rest of his life. As long as I'm here, I will teach him those things. Why? Because they're of great importance to me. Many of those things are things that were passed down from my grandfather or from my father, or, and they're things that matter to us. And I want that to be part of our family legacy. Well, that's not going to happen just by chance. I'm going to have to be intentional about teaching my son and my daughter and, and even people around me those things. So I want to make sure that I'm building a legacy, not just hoping that I have a good one one day. I mean, if you realize hope is good, but you've got to add some action to your hope if you want it to become something. And, you know, in Psalms 90, or 9, Psalms 90, verse 12, out of the Amplified Bible, it gives us some wisdom here, some instructions. It says, teach us to number our days that we may cultivate and bring to you a heart of wisdom. In other words, let me realize that I don't just have infinite number of days. Let me count them. Let me make every day count. Why? Because it will, what, cultivate and bring to who? To you being God, a heart of wisdom. In other words, I don't want to come to God and be like, well, I tried, but you know. No, I want to say, God, man, I really applied your word to my life, your wisdom to my life. And out of that, it produced and really helped me to number my days. And so wisdom, what? It helps us to know what's really important. Wisdom helps us to know what's really important, what really matters in our life. Because we can get sidetracked by a lot of things that are good, but they're not God. Amen. And so wisdom separates the good from the God. Wisdom says, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not necessary right now. But this, this God instruction, this God moment actually gives me the wisdom to walk in what God wants. And so I shared this with you two weeks ago as well, is that our legacy actually begins the moment we take our first breath. It begins at birth. Jesus's legacy didn't just start when he hung on the cross. It started the moment and even prior to that he was even born. His legacy had already begun. We still talk about it. We still read the story of Jesus. You know, wise men came from the far, that there was prophetic, uh, prophetic utterance of, to him but when he was still in the womb of Mary. I mean, all of these things that were happening, there's a legacy, there's a story behind him. And so our legacy begins at birth. It's built throughout our lives. And here's the other thing that I think sometimes we miss out on, is that our, our legacy doesn't stop when we stop breathing. Amen. We're actually going to take our legacy with us to heaven. 
I think sometimes we don't think about that. I mean, I can think of it just in natural terms with my family. And, well, I want to make sure I, that I leave these lessons or these thoughts or these values with my family. But when I stand before God, will I not bring my legacy before him? Sure I will. Here's the substance of my life. And so, you know, but it does require that we be very intentional on a very regular basis. And we ought to have an eternal perspective when we're talking about legacy, not just a natural, temporal legacy. Because the reality is if you're only focused on the natural, you can leave your family a nice bank account and yet be completely spiritually bankrupt. Which one's of more value? I can give you an easy example. How much does peace cost? Can you buy peace? No. So you can actually say that peace is more valuable than money. People spend a lot of money, and I'm not a, I have nothing against counselors. My brother-in-law, one of my closest friends is a, a counselor. And if you need to go to a counselor, go talk to him. But a lot of people spend a lot of money to go talk to a counselor, and they never come to a place of peace. All the money in the world can't buy you peace. And yet spiritually, that's where we can find actual peace. Why? Because we serve the prince of peace. He doesn't just have peace. He is peace. Like when Jesus shows up, things calm down. And we can have that. And so we want to make sure that we're leaving the right legacy, that we're thinking in terms of the right way. So we ought to do this from an eternal perspective. We ought to be thinking about how do I want to be known in heaven? I don't want to be the guy that got there by the skin of his teeth. Like, mm, he, he's lucky. He's got some skid marks kind of slid in the door. <laughs> Rounded the corner a little hot coming in, but he made it. Like, that's not really the legacy that I want. They call me skid mark for all of eternity, you know. Like, that would be bad. And, uh has a different connotation there, hopefully. But anyhow, you never know. Like, that's my real name? Like, well, it is now, but I hope that's not my... No, I want to go and, and what? I want to be and, and have a legacy. To, I mean, you know, I don't mean this in a private... But I want people to be like, man, that guy lived in some faith. Like, he saw God do some amazing stuff. And, you know, I mean, let me be like Enoch. I love the story of Enoch. Many of you may not even know who Enoch is in the Old Testament. But it says that this is the testimony of Enoch. That he walked with God. I mean, you know, Enoch just, the Bible says that one day he just was not because God took him. I, I heard a, uh, an illustration one time of this is that, that they were talking about the story of Enoch. And it says that one day Enoch and God were on a walk and they were talking and time got away from him. And then God just realized, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? And Enoch just left. I mean, what a legacy. I mean, you know, for all of eternity, everybody's going to be like, that guy just walked home with God. <laughs> like, that's a legacy. Well, I want to live my life from an eternal perspective, not, and really what that means is I live my life with heaven in mind first, not thinking of heaven from an earthly perspective. Because it affects how I live every day. It affects what I do all the time. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, these verses will be up on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. 
The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. He said, now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. No one can lay any foundation other than the one that we have already laid, which is Christ Jesus. He says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, hay, and straw. He says, but on judgment day, that day when we would stand before the Lord, it says that fire will reveal what uh, the kind of work that each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. It says if the work survives, uh, the builder will receive a reward. But if the uh, work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss, but the builder will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Now, you can read that and you're like, well, that seems kind of heavy. Because sometimes I think people misinterpret scripture because they read more than what it says. Because people think on judgment day, you're going to walk up to God and he's going to say in or out. Well, it's not really even what this verse is telling us. What it's saying is that we're going to bring the substance of our life before God. It says it's going to be tested in a moment and only what's of value will remain. And it says that there will be people whose whole life will be like a vapor and just and be gone. They still get to go to heaven. God's not, you know, it's not like, well, you didn't live the way that you were supposed to. No, you, he says they will, the builder would be saved, but their whole substance of their life could be gone like that. I want to make sure I've got some stuff laying on the table when my life is tested. I want to make sure of that. That there's real value there. Because that's what I get to keep for eternity. That, that's how I'll be known. Over in Matthew 25, I, I want to share some verses. and It's a similar account where Jesus himself is teaching about the final judgment. And you're like, why are you talking about this on Christmas? I thought I was coming to a Christmas service. Because this is how we ought to be living our lives all the time. We'll get to Christmas here in a minute, but I just want you to. So in verse 31 of Matthew 25, it says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he, w- or it says, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. It says, all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place sheep at his right hand and goats at his left. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Now this is verse 35 and I want you to catch this. Because this is still the same thought. And Jesus says, For I was hungry and you fed me. And I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. And I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, that when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it unto me. You were doing it as unto me. See, even in this passage, he's talking about that moment where our life will be really tested. It will be proved in that moment. And here he says, what's of value? He just began to tell us. 
He, he, you know, he, he tells them, did you help people? Were you kind? Did you help meet people's needs? Not just physically. We can meet a lot of physical needs. That's called social justice, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we want to meet physical needs and then give them a spiritual answer. So, in the name of Jesus, here's a meal. Right? We want to make sure that we're not just meeting a physical need without actually missing what? The most important need that every human being has. And yet here, Jesus begins to tell us, you know, sometimes I I like to think of it like this, and it helps me, is that sometimes people can't hear the gospel because they're hungry. And if I would feed them, they could hear the gospel. Why? Because their stomach is louder than their heart. Maybe they're hurting and they need healing. So if I can help them receive healing, then they can receive the gospel. Why? Because their heart's not yelling louder than... They're spirit man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and so there are things that we need to do as believers to meet people where they are. I mean, and it's just the reality. See, and even as I shared with you a few minutes ago, this is some, some, not completely, but some of where our generosity comes in. Why? Because when we're generous, we're able to what? Meet physical needs for people, but we're also able to help them what make a connection to Christ to make a connection to the gospel and so that requires financial ability now just so you know I've already talked about the offering I'm not talking about it again this is something different because if you get down to it the core of Christmas is what that God gave John three sixteen, the most famous verse in scripture for God so loved the world That he gave his only son. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish. But would have eternal life. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about selflessness. It's about putting somebody else first. It's about thinking of somebody else. It's about putting ourselves aside to meet somebody else where they are. This is who we're called to be. This is how we leave a legacy. Beyond just us four and no more. Beyond the walls of my church, my house, my family. We start thinking of, of, of ways and asking the Lord, God, would you give us ways to impact people? Would you give us ways and, and opportunities to, to really stir in people's hearts what you want to do in them? I use this phrase often, but we sow into the kingdom of God. So that another person can be touched by the mercy, the grace, and the power of God. We've all been touched by the mercy and the grace. They're different. Mercy says, I got what, or I didn't get what I deserved, right? Like, I deserve hell. Me. I'm not talking about you. I mean me. So I don't think I'm telling you that. Me, I know. I deserve to go to hell. Why? Because I was sinful. Because I, I, I was prideful. I, I was really opposed to God. So mercy is really me not getting what I deserve. Grace is me getting what I don't deserve in the person of Jesus. I don't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve forgiveness of sins. I don't deserve peace. But in Jesus, it's yes. That's grace. And the power of God we need. Why? Because without the power of God, ain't nothing happening anyways. So I need his grace. I need his mercy. And I need his power. 
Well, the same is true for every person that we come in contact with as well. And so, but what happens many times, and, and I, for me and for anybody else, is that we can get so busy doing things that we forget who we're doing it for. Because here, what Jesus says this, he says, I was hungry. When was Jesus hungry? According to scripture, he says, when you feed somebody, it's like you're doing it for me. So let me say it this way. When I buy somebody's lunch, you know, we have our little generosity cards. I buy somebody some, some coffee or a meal. I'm not buying it for them. What I'm actually doing is saying, God, I am so thankful and so grateful for what you've done in me. I'm going to feed them. And by feeding them or taking care of them or whatever the need may be, I'm actually taking care of you. Jesus actually, it, oh, let me say it this way. It's like telling Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for the blessings in my life. I'm so grateful for the salvation that I get to call my own. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in my life. And it's not about the person. You know, I mean, and look, I, I've been around church for a long time. I, I, I've, you know, I've heard all the stories. and Well, I don't know what, the, what they're going to do. Like, I'll just use this as an example because this is probably one of the most prominent ones. You see somebody on the street holding a sign. Hungry, need food, whatever the case may be. Yeah, but I don't know what they're going to do with it. According to Scripture, it doesn't matter. Because I'm not just doing it for them. I'm actually doing it as, as unto the Lord. What they do with it is up to them. Now, I'm not telling you to just do that all the time, but we ought to be sensitive to the Lord. And if the Lord says, help them, we ought to help them. Now, you need to use wisdom, especially if you're a lady. Don't be foolish. But just, it's important. But the Bible here says is that we are to be, what, generous. But we can't be generous and lose sight of who we're doing it for. See, legacy isn't just about the what that we do. It's about the who that we do it for. Truly. Now, I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers. I like math. I like my spreadsheets, which I know some of you are like, okay, now you're nerding out. Yes, I am. I like, I mean, I'm a numbers person. I mean, I like to work. I mean, you know, I just do. But, you know, numbers can become very important to me, too important to me, that I actually begin to lose sight of the people that it represents. Like as an example, Last Sunday, we had 12 people that responded to our call at the end of service. But I have to remind myself, those are 12 individual people. It's not just the number. If one person, it's worth it. If nobody responded and we sowed a seed, it's worth it. I have to remind myself of those things because I'm a, I'm a numbers person. I, I, I like to have things done. I love my checklist. Like, I love those things. I, I, I'm high production. I love to get stuff done. I just do. I love it. And yet I can become so about numbers and the information that I forget that it actually is people. Not that I just forget about it, but you know what I'm saying. That the information is more important than the person. Everything that we do as a church, 
We can do it in the name of TDP or we can do it in the name of Jesus. There's a big difference. Because we don't want to make a church known. We want to make Jesus known. There's a huge difference. Motive matters. Motive matters. Our motives matter. That's why I talk about it all the time in our giving. Motive matters. Motive matters. Why? Because I believe it's true in every area of our life. If I came and I just started complimenting you every week because I wanted something and you found out he's just working you to try to get something from you, all of a sudden my compliment would lose its value, would it not? Why? Because the motive matters. Motive matters. It does. And and you can apply that to many areas of our life. See, I, I really do have this desire. I, I believe that every, that every detail matters. I, I'm a detail-oriented person. That's why I like numbers. Like, I don't like, the, I don't like to round up numbers. Like, I don't. Like, I have a program on my computer and it always wants to automatically round up to the near. It drives me crazy. I'm like, just, I put it in there and I want it. I drive my CPA crazy. But that's another story. No, but details do matter. And we're going to celebrate details around here. Because that detail is a person. It's a life. It's an individual. We want our lives that we live here on earth to what? To to actually echo throughout eternity. I don't want to just be like, well, that's the end. And praise God, I made it to heaven. No, I, I, I want. But at the end of my life, at the end of your life, when we stand before the Lord, there's going to be a few questions that he's going to want to ask us. And we will probably be surprised at the questions, in my opinion. They're not earth-shattering, per se, but they are very important. And he's going to ask us, I believe, a few questions, which is, number one, and this one's very important, do you know me? And do I know you? I mean, the Bible speaks of this. It says that there were people who, you know, they're like, oh, we prophesied in your name, and we did all these things in your name. And, we do. and he goes, but depart from me. I never knew you. you got to know him, not just know about him and not just do things for him. you got to actually have a relationship. So I believe that will be one of the first questions. The second question I believe is that he'll want to know is, did you love others? Like really love them. Did you love others? Did you care for people or were you only consumed with yourself? And the third question I believe could be this is, do you love me? Like not do you love what I did for you. A lot of people love what God did for them in the person of Jesus. They love salvation. They love what came along with it. The problem is they never fell in love with him. Because they lacked actually, let me say it this way. They got saved and they never passed that. The relationship never went any deeper than surface. It's like I got saved, I punched my, my heaven card, I'm going to heaven, I'm good. Now I'm going to go live however I want and do whatever I want and think whatever I want and act the way I want until I get to heaven and it's all going to be good. You might be a little surprised. Why? Because what we do between Jesus, I surrender my life to you and Jesus, I stand before you. There's something that should be happening in the process of time. It's growth. I mean, I've been married to my wife for 15 years. 
I know more about her and I love her more today than when I married her 15 years ago. But you know what? I've had to be intentional about that too. Because it's easy in time to what? Just kind of hit cruise control. Oh, I know. I know. I know. She knows. She understands. I know I'm the only husband who ever has those thoughts, but... And I need to be better than I am. But I'm trying. I'm working on it. Well, the same is true in my relationship with the Lord. I can just hit cruise control and be like, well, I'm good. Yeah, but what about when he asks me, do you love me? Not just do you know me. Do you love me? Because if we love him, it will actually change our motives. Like I do things for my wife that I would never do for you. I don't mean that wrongly. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. I'm not going to go aimlessly wander around the mall with you. I'm just not going to do it. My wife doesn't shop. She grazes. You know what I'm saying? Like, come over here, and we're going to go over here, and we're going to do this. We're going to come back over here and regraze this one. And then, Well, maybe over Sorry. Now I'm meddling. But I'm not going to do that for you. Why? Because I don't love you the way I love my wife. It's different. But because I do love her, it actually changes what I do. It changes what's important to me. It's just the nature of the relationship. Well, the same is true with God. I can know about him. I may even have genuinely asked him to be the Lord of my life. But how do I know when I love him? Because my priorities will change. My desires will begin to change. I care about things today that I just didn't care about a few years ago. And you know what? Now that we have kids, and especially now that I have a daughter, like I'm walking through the store yesterday, I'm picking out little tutus. I didn't care about that about a year ago, I can tell you. I just didn't care, you know. It's pink and ruffled, and I got no use for that. Now I do. It has changed my priorities, right? So if you want to know if you love God, it's an easy way to look at it. Do you love what he loves? Do you care about what he cares about? It's part of how we say thank you to God. For what? For saving us. This is part of how we build and leave legacy. I mean, at its core, Christmas is about what? It's about God coming, but ultimately, even more than that, why did God come? Because he loved us. And so at its core, Christmas is really about love. It's about God's love towards us, and it's even about our love towards others. Why? Because people can't see or feel God. But when you give somebody who's hurting a hug and pray for them, they can feel that. And we do it because we're what? Because of compassion that rises up on the inside. I mean, I believe that this is just my personal belief, and I could show you from Scripture why I believe this, but I believe that any time that compassion rises up in our heart, that there's actually an anointing from God to, be, to minister to that person. Amen. That just, a, a, let me say it this way, and there's nothing wrong with it, but you can walk up to me right after the service and say, hey, would you pray with me about this, this, and this? Sure, and I would. I would, Absolutely. 
But it's totally different when the Lord lays somebody on your heart and there's a compassion that rises up on the inside of you and you connect with that person and say, hey, you've, you've just been in my heart. Is there something going on? Can I pray with you? I believe that there's actually a greater anointing on you in that moment to pray with that person than even me praying for them. Why? Because it's compassion. I mean, and the reason that I hold to this is you see throughout the ministry of Jesus, it says what? That he was moved with compassion and he would heal. He was moved with compassion and he fed. He was moved with compassion and he did stuff, right? He did things because of the compassion in his heart. And I believe the same is true for us, for all of us. Is that when God begins to stir up on the inside of us, that's actually a little, do something. Act for me. Why? Because that's part of the legacy. Why? Because I'm not just doing it for that person. I'm doing it, doing it as a representative of Christ to people who need him. And that's inside the church and outside the church. Because whether we all realize it or not, we still all need Jesus. I don't just want him, I need him. You don't just want him, you actually still need him. I don't care if you got saved a long time ago or not. You're actually still in need of his grace. You're still in need of his kindness. You're still in need of his healing. It's why he came. The Bible says that he was actually... I'll put it in my verbiage. He was pushed to the physical, natural, human limits so that he could actually, what, be sympathetic to anything that we would face. Jesus was stretched further than any of us have ever been stretched so that when we pray to him, he has compassion towards us. Because he says, I understand what that feels like. I understand what, that, what that's like. Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed by one of your closest friends. Why? Because his inner circle, Judas, betrayed him. He knows what it's like. Not only does he know what it's like, but he also knows how to heal that betrayal that happened to you. He knows. He understands. He's not just tolerating you. He's actually sympathetic. In other words, he's compassionate. He's gracious. He wants to help. He wants to heal. He wants to come alongside of you. And the same is true even in that is that we are to be like Christ now. We are to be compassionate and loving and caring and thoughtful of others around us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 through 4. This is speaking of love which many times people take verses 4 through 8. Just give you a little side note, something you can do. Take 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Specifically, I would, con- I would recommend in the Amplified Bible. And everywhere that it says the word love, put I. Make it personal. I am patient. I am kind. I endure long with, you know, I mean, you start, why? Because your confession is going to make a difference. Make it personal. I mean, there's even a spot, which is even my notes, but it's good anyways. But it talks about that love does not demand its own right or its own way. For it's not self-seeking. Okay, we'll make it personal. I am not touchy or fretful. I I don't demand my own right or my own way because I am not self-seeking. You start saying that, the word of God has power in your life, right? And guess what? You'll actually begin to live that out. 
But here in verse 1, it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of the angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Just making a bunch of racket. It says, If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. So that would be your spiritual elites, the people that we want to put on pedestals. They can know all this stuff, but if they don't know how to love, it's worth nothing. You can know all about the Bible, but if you don't live it out, what is it good for? It's like the song says, absolutely nothing. Verse 3 says, if I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body and could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I have gained nothing. Then it goes on into verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. All of those things that go into it. But here what he's saying is that look, if I sacrifice everything, if I give everything, if I'm so generous that I give myself broke, what God's going to ask you is not how much did you give. He's going to ask you how much you loved. Because see, sometimes what happens is we can write a check or give money to soothe our conscience because it's easier to give money than it is to go and serve face to face. It's more inconvenient. It requires more of me. It actually requires that I invest emotional energy and in, in, in really being prepared to, to be with people. It's just easier to write a, give some money and just, hey, y'all go take care of that. And yet we're called to love. It, it is the spirit of Christmas. It really is. It's, it's the heart of God. Is that we are called to to not just talk about doing things and maybe even just doing things. We're to do them with love, with compassion to those around us. It's who we're called to be. It's the reason why we're here. Our, our, our greatest legacy with people will simply be that, how we love them. It will be. That's what people are going to remember. Let me put it another way. How did I feel when I was with them? Did I feel important? Did I feel valued? Or were they just trying to push me aside and get along with their day? How, how, do, people, how, how do people feel? So our greatest legacy with people will be how did we love them? Our greatest legacy with God will be how we loved him and then how we loved others for him. How we loved him and how we loved others for him. The Bible says in Colossians that we, and actually speaking of Christ, but we're now in Christ. It says that Christ was the visible image. It's Colossians 2 verse 15. Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. Well, we are now the body of Christ. So that same thing applies to us. We are now the visible image of an invisible God. But see, what happens and what can happen if we're not careful is that we can lose sight of the who and the why that we're doing what we do. You know, I shared with you earlier that we were a blessing to 58 foster children. And yes, we want to be a blessing to them, but who did we do it for? For Jesus. Because we're telling him thank you. We're so grateful for what you've done in our lives. That we want to see other people experience that same goodness, that same grace. 
That's why we do it. And, we, and, and the motivation behind that is because we love God and we want to love others the way that he's loved us. That's the heart of Christmas. It's not all these other things. It's, it's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, you know, with all the festivities, but it, that's a very American idea. It just is. There's other countries who celebrate it, but the norm in the world is not what we know of Christmas. Many cultures don't even celebrate it at all. But they do celebrate the birth of Christ. Because it's not about all the stuff, all the extracurriculars, all the, you know. I mean, I made a joke about it last week is that you need time off from work after Christmas just to recoup from Christmas. Like I need a vacation from Christmas. But yet what I find is that when I love people, it actually brings life to me. It actually invigorates me. It'll do the same for you. You know, as we're wrapping up this morning, I, I just want to encourage you to make Christmas personal. Make it personal this year. Don't just make it kind of about all the stuff. Like, really, where am I at with the Lord? Where's my relationship? Am I just serving him or am I loving him? Am I just going through the motions? Am I just, or, or you know, or you could be like me. I got saved like 50 times. <laughs> Thankfully, the last one took. When's the last time you get saved? When it actually is real. You know, I mean, it's just the truth. But we have to be honest with ourselves and with God and just, where am I at? And maybe this Christmas, maybe that's the best thing that you could do is to give, your, give yourself the gift of honesty and just say, man, I'm not who I think I am and I'm not doing what I've said I would do. It's to be honest with the Lord and just say, man, I, okay, I, I've been living for myself. I've not been thinking of others. I've not been thinking of you. I've not been, not been trying to live a life that would honor and bring glory to you. <clears throat> I've not been living a life that would actually display to the world that I actually love you and that because I love you, it causes me to love them. You know, you, that may be you this morning. And it may just be a good time to evaluate where you're at, what's going on in your life, what's been going on in your life. Where your heart is. Proverbs tells us to guard our heart. Why? Because that's, where, that's the whole direction of our life. Your life will follow what matters in your heart. All your decisions flow through that. Everything that matters flows through that. So we want to make sure that what? That our heart is on the right place. In the right place. Focused on the right things. And that's with our Savior who came for us who lived for us, who died for us, who rose for us, who the Bible says right now is seated in the, at the throne of God. And the Bible says he's actually praying for you. He's praying for me. He says that he's constantly making intercession, which is just prayer. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. Why? Because God has a purpose. God has a plan. And he's praying. Why? Because prayer opens the door. It creates space for God to work. So you may be here this morning and you say, man...